Okay, so those that have seen me do that, you know that I'm just starting the recording. I'm not checking my messages or anything like that. Now I have a mic and you can hear me. That's a good testimony, right? Two things I'd like to highlight for you on that. One is how right at the end, he started talking about how God uses our mistakes. Did you hear that? And he mentioned something called CR. And if you don't know what CR is, it stands for Celebrate Recovery. And uh, one of the things that they emphasize in Celebrate Recovery is that God never wastes suffering. He doesn't. And I would even say to you, God never wastes suffering as a result of sin either. That God finds a way to take the things that, that we've suffered through. He finds a way to take those things and bring some good from it. And, and for so many people in just retelling their story and relating to other people who've done you know, kind of the same things that, that they've done or been through the same kinds of things they've been through, that's what helps people so much. Because if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're bottomed out, you know, if you're rock bottom like he's talking about, and you meet someone else and they start telling you their story, they've been there too, and you see where they are today and you go, hey, look, Jesus helped this person. He might be able to help me too. That means a lot to people. It just does. But he also said a little further back in his testimony that he had to reach rock bottom. You hear that part? Why do people wait so long? Why do they wait? I don't know how many times I've seen it. I don't know how many, because, you know, again, I'm a pastor, so here's what happens. People come to see me when it's bad. Like not, not early when the process, when they say, oh, I might have a problem. Let me see if I can talk to somebody or get some help or find something. No, they wait until it's really bad. Like there are no other options. I got nobody else to talk to. Um, can you help me? You know, that's when I often talk to people. And so I don't know why people wait until they hit rock bottom. And I, and I would just say to you, if you're struggling with something, okay, you're struggling with something. Everybody in this room is either struggling with something or has been recently or will be in the future. So you're, you're in the same boat with everybody. So why would you wait to hit rock bottom? Why do that? Great testimony. Jesus Christ, the man who lived 2,000 years ago on this earth, came here, he did what he did, he taught what he taught, he allowed himself to be hung on a cross by the Romans, he died, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead so that you wouldn't have to live a life at rock bottom. I mean, that's why he did it. We were talking about this last night at dinner. Where were all of your problems and sins when Jesus died on the cross? Like, you think back, it's 2,000 years ago. So, first of all, where were you when Jesus died on the cross? You were in the future. You didn't exist yet, right? So where were all those things you did wrong? Where were all those sins? Where were all those things that the Bible says, you know, we shouldn't do? They were all in the future. Every single one of them. And yet, God did something only God could do. He took Jesus and He took all of the wrongs that we could or would ever do and He put them on Jesus way back then. And that's what Jesus did. He, he took all that should have belonged to us. If I, should, if I should be punished for my sin, that's what Jesus did. He did it for me. And He did it 2,000 years ago when I was not even dreamed of, you know, when I was way in the future. So what does that mean now? It means that if, if you... If you give yourself to Christ, if you believe in Him, it means all your sin is forgiven. Not just the things you did in the past, not just the things you're doing now, but even the things that you will do in the future. Every single one 
is forgiven. And if you ever kind of take that to heart, if you ever just take that in and your mind kind of wraps around it, it helps you look differently at the things you're struggling with because you realize this is the thing I probably should apologize to God for. I don't want to keep doing this anymore. But the truth is, Jesus already died for this. He already forgave me for it. He loves me. He accepts me. And that puts you on a whole new path with dealing with the things that you're struggling with. It's a whole new way of looking at it. It'll change your perspective. So here's what I want to do today. We're going to start this new series called What Would Jesus Undo? And there's going to be four things. I'll talk about that in a minute, Ross. Don't let me get too far ahead of myself. But what would Jesus undo? Uh, anyone ever heard of the man Charles Sheldon? Not Sheldon Cooper. Charles Sheldon. Okay. If you don't know him, you might know his book, In His Steps. Ever heard of that? All right, I got one or two nods. All right, in his step. How about this? What would Jesus do? Remember the bracelets and all those other things? What would Jesus do? Okay, that grew out of the book from Charles Sheldon in his steps, but you probably don't remember Charles Sheldon because he, he lived in 1896. Okay, it was a long time ago. He was a small town pastor and he wrote this book called In His Steps. And the book was just about how... You know, people live out their faith and struggle with their faith and try to do things the right way in a small town environment. That's what In His Steps was about. And so he put in that book that question. So would it, how would it change living out your Christian faith if every time you faced a decision, you said, well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And so long after his death, long after his book had been published, that thing caught fire, and a number of years ago, uh, it became really a movement. What would Jesus do? And it, it got a lot of people thinking about the things that they face. So what I'm going to do is just give you a little twist on that today. It's not just what would Jesus do, but what would he undo? What would he undo? And so there are four parts to this, okay? It's indifference today. So if you're spiritually indifferent, like you just like, okay, Jesus is a guy. Okay, he lived a long time ago. I can go with that. I heard about the cross. I know y'all just had Easter and you got the resurrection thing, but you're just kind of indifferent to it. It's not really important to you. That's one of those things that Jesus would undo. He would undo our indifference. And then we're going to talk about worship and hollow worship. We'll talk about that next week. And in the third week, we'll talk about hypocrisy. And let me just go ahead and put this out here because I don't want anybody to misunderstand hypocrisy. Everyone in this room is a hypocrite. Myself and all of you. So I'm looking at hypocrites, right? You're looking at a hypocrite. So, so I don't want you to leave here today and go, those people, they're hypocrites because we know you are too. Everybody's a hypocrite. What, there's a, the difference is this. There are people who are hypocrites and say they're not, and there are people that are hypocrites that know it. That's, only, that's the difference right there. So we're going to talk about hypocrisy and how do you close the gap between the way that you live and the way that you believe you should live. So we're going to talk about that because that's one of the things that Jesus would undo. And then the fourth one we'll talk about is pride. Pride, for some people, they'll just explain it as the original sin. And, and maybe it is the original sin. Pride is that idea that I know better than God. Whatever you say, God, I hear you. I know you're big and all that, but I know better than you, or I'm going to do what I want to do in spite of you. That's pride. And so we'll talk about that. And pride is one of those things all of us will deal with. We'll deal with it our entire lives, and it's one of the things that God begins to undo in us. So to kind of set this up before I read the Scripture, have you ever given someone a gift and they really didn't acknowledge it? Kind of, kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. Like, like you give them a gift and they don't even open the thing. 
or, or you write them a letter and they don't read it, or you give them a card. I, my wife corrected me. Y'all know my wife can do that, right? She really, y'all know her. She's good at it. Like she, she, so somebody came up to church and gave me a card, and I stood there with it. I didn't open the card. I just held it to my side, and I continued to talk to the person. And when I got home, Michelle told me, you can't do that. They gave you a card. Open the card. You know how she is. Open. So I have learned since then. So if you bring me a card, you know, unless you tell me not to open it, I'm going to open that thing, especially if Michelle's anywhere around. That's what I'm going to open the card. Okay, because if you don't, I mean, it's just like they went to the trouble, buy you a card, write something in it, whatever they did, and they gave it to you. And if you don't even acknowledge it, I mean, that's just not nice. I've learned that. That's not nice. Or you send somebody a text message. You know, you send them something nice. They send you back, Kate. Right? That's all they send you back. Just, oh, that's happened to you. That's happened to you. So that's all you get back. It's just, I don't know. I mean, you, I, I wanted a little more, you know. Okay, it wasn't enough. So it just kind of hurts your feelings a little bit. All right, so if you're on board with that, I just want you to magnify that a million times, okay? I want you to think of it like this. Jesus is in heaven. Like, he is God. He makes a choice to leave heaven come to earth. He's going to be born, little baby, the baby of Bethlehem. We all celebrated at Christmas. He's born in this little no-name town outside of a big town in the Middle East. All right, he grows up. He's, he never sins. Like He's the only man to walk the earth since Adam and Eve without sin. I mean, he's just different than everybody else. He's just, he's not like those other little kids running around. And he grows up, and for three years, he has a public ministry. Three years. You ever give that some thought? Three years. That's it. It wasn't like Jesus had this long career where he was teaching and doing things. Three years. That's all. But for three years, he tells us about God. He tells us about himself. He, he explains to us the things we need to know. And he lives it out so that we can see it. And frankly, some people hated him for it. And then the religious people got together with the political people and they conspired together and they said, we're going to kill this guy. And they did. They killed him. He did all that by choice. I mean, last night we went and watched the movie, The Apostle, and that, that concept was, was brought out. That what Jesus did, he did by his choice. And even the Apostle Paul reflected that when he was in prison. He stood before the people that, that held him in prison. He said, do you think I'm here against my will? I mean, he came to Rome on purpose. He went there because he believed God wanted him there. Yeah, they put him in prison. They wound up killing him. But he went because that's where God wanted him to go. He did it. And, and Jesus did that same thing. And so on the third day, he rises from the dead. He ascends to heaven 40 days later. He's done all of that. He's made it possible for you and I to experience the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you're here and like sin doesn't bother you, then you really don't know what the experience of forgiveness is about. But, but if you do know, that's what Jesus made possible for us. He made possible for us to have something that he calls abundant life. He made possible for us to have, let's just say, God at our fingertips. I mean, you have access to the God who made all things simply through prayer. As a believer, as a follower of Christ, all you've got to do is start praying. And the God who made it all absolutely hears everything you say. That's pretty amazing, right? That's what Jesus made possible for you. He, he charges your life with spiritual purpose. So you, you don't just live your life just wandering through, trying to figure it out on your own. He gives you a purpose, a purpose for which you were designed. Like there's no other plan that's better than the one he has for you. He, he gave you the same spirit 
that is his spirit. That's what dwells in believers. I know that boggles the mind of some, but that's exactly what it did. You have the spirit of God within you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what, it, here's what I'm getting at. After all of that, all of that being a gift that Jesus Christ gave you, for some people, they can go day by day and never give him a second thought. That's indifference. That's not caring. That's taking all the things that have been done for you and everything that will last forever, all those benefits and blessings to you, and just saying, okay, that's nice, and brush it off. That's indifference. And that's what we're thinking about today. There is a church in Revelation. If you've never read this, Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus sent seven letters to seven churches. So if you want to read a letter from Jesus, you want to know what Jesus would dictate and tell to a church, Revelation 2, Revelation 3, he gives you seven of them. The seventh and last church is Laodicea. And I'm going to read the letter that's given to Laodicea because that was a church that was indifferent. And you'll pick this up in just a moment. So this is Revelation chapter 3, starting at verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this thing. The amen, the faithful and the true witness... The beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds. You are neither cold nor hot, and I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Kind of graphic. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know. You're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich. In white garments that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed. In eye medicine to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me in my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He that has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would you join me for prayer? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for the words of Jesus given to the church at Laodicea about 2,000 years ago. And as we're reading that today and thinking about it, we ask you to guide our thinking, help us to understand what it means and how it makes a difference in the way we live. We ask it in his name, amen. So Laodicea, about 35 years before this letter was written, they had an earthquake, kind of destroyed most of the place. But they did what, you know, modern cities do. You rebuild and you re rebuild bigger and better. So that's what they did. And so they had the nicest stuff. You know, they had the newest stadium, the nicest shopping areas. You know, it's just like any new, newer type town you go to, that's what you think of. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of, of New Orleans. I lived in New Orleans in the 90s. And if you've never been to New Orleans, I'll just tell you, it's a nasty city. Like, it's a dirty place. Like, you walk around, you just got, I mean, literally dirt on you. It's just dirty. And then Hurricane Katrina happened, and so much of the city was destroyed. And, and of course, they just rebuilt, you know, bigger and better. So we went back a few years ago. I guess it was 20, 2012 when the first time we went back after Katrina. And we're driving through. Now, my daughter, who was like three when we lived there the first time, 
you know, we go back and, and we're driving through the neighborhood. She's like, this is our neighborhood. This is where we used to live, Dad. This is where you took us. And I said, oh, it looks so much better now than it did when we lived here. You know, after Katrina, they really cleaned this place up a lot. So, you know, that's what I think of. It's rebuilt bigger and better. And in Laodicea, they had one main problem, and that was their water supply was, was awful. And so they built these these aqueducts you know the water comes through it's built up off the land and they bring it from two different cities nearby and the water would just travel down the aqueduct to them but by the time it got to them whether it was cold water coming from one city hot water coming from another city which that's a great idea right they got cold water and hot water coming but but by the time it got to Laodicea it was just lukewarm it was just in the middle it wasn't really cold wasn't it's like drinking uh, coffee after it's been sitting there for 30 minutes I know y'all are thinking who would do that I've done it lukewarm coffee lukewarm water same way okay so jesus takes something that the people of laodicea would absolutely understand they didn't like the water either and jesus said he said look you guys you're not hot you're not cold you're somewhere in the middle you're kind of lukewarm and just like you like to spit out the local water i'd like to spit you out i know you're thinking i thought jesus was nicer than that right jesus wouldn't say that I just read it. I, I just read it to you. That's exactly what he said. So, you know, just explode the myth of Sunday school Jesus. Sunday school Jesus is the nice Jesus. You know, he's the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. He's Santa Claus times 20 and all that stuff. And that is just not who Jesus is. He is the greatest person you will ever meet. But he's also the truest person you will ever meet. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he told the people at Laodicea, you guys are lukewarm and it makes me sick. That's kind of rough, huh? You're thinking, I didn't come to church for this. I don't want to hear that. Sometimes we do need to hear something like that because spiritual indifference matters. It's the kind of thing that Jesus says, it just turns my stomach. And it makes sense to me. Think about all the things he's done. All that he did for us and for people to go through their days indifferent, that's what Jesus says. That not just hurts his feelings, it, it makes him sick. That's spiritual indifference. And so we're going to talk about that for just a few moments. There are two causes of spiritual indifference. And I know we've got a slide on this, so I want you to see it. Uh, you start with delusions of independence. Uh, just And it is a delusion. Any of us that think we're truly independent, we're not. It's just a delusion because it's that concept of being self-sufficient. That's what feeds into spiritual indifference. In other words, I don't need anybody. I don't need any help. It's exactly what they said or Jesus said they would say of themselves in the text we read in verse 17. I have acquired these things. I have the wealth. I have all of this. I'm in need of nothing. And when you believe you're self-sufficient and you got it all and everything's fine, you don't really need God unless, you know, things really get bad. That's spiritual indifference. So today it would be, you might say it different. You might say, well, I got coffee. I got my phone. Uh, I got Amazon Prime. Um, I can literally order anything and they bring it to my house. Do any of you have a stack of Amazon boxes at your house? that you can't get rid of yeah that's what happened it's my daughter she orders that amazon stuff that just keeps coming to the house but literally you can get anything you know you just think of it and you say oh i need this i need to go pick that up no i don't one click it'll be here you know in two days and and that's what happens and it's just so convenient you got netflix you can just turn on the tv connect and there you go you just you have everything you say, but I'm not rich, right? No, you're not rich. I get that. But, but you have everything. All the conveniences of life are yours. And when everything's convenient and everything's full, and every, there are no 
you know, really felt needs in your life. You just think, I've got it all. That's the time when spiritual indifference starts to creep in. And, and so what happens is we have all of this wealth, so to speak, or access to all of these things that make us feel this way when, spiritually speaking, we're just bankrupt. We don't have anything. Or our lives are full of stuff, but we're just empty instead. I mean, think about your days. You could go through your days with all the things of this world that you think are needed or that you should ever have. But if you do that without purpose and without meaning, what, what kind of life is that? That's what we're talking about. So that's the first cause of spiritual indifference. And the second one is this. The distractions. The distractions of this world. Now, in Laodicea, they had plenty to be distracted by. You know, if you get bored, go shopping. They had these public baths. I know that sounds weird to you, but that was a big thing in the Roman world, in the Greek world. They had these public baths. There was always somewhere to go. There was always something to do. There was always something in town going on. I mean, they were, they were the best... Uh, you know, entertainment venue around. So they always had that. And all of those distractions creep in even for Christian people. And so the distractions that are offered to us in this world, these little phones we have, are they not distractions? You just watch people. I mean, some of y'all do it in church. I know. I see you. You get bored, you know, you say, the preacher is not doing good today. Let me just check this out. And they grab their phone and away they go. I know some of you say, no, no, I'm reading the Bible, Pastor. Really, I am. All right, God knows, and your neighbor knows if you're reading the Bible or doing something else, okay? They know. But, but still, it's distractions. And then, and you know, for, for us older folks, I mean, it, it's a whole different level of distractions. Our distractions are part distraction, part responsibility, right? I got bills to pay. I got things I've got to do. I've got to go pick this thing up. I got people to meet. Uh, I got dishes, you know, that need to be done. Laundry still has to be done. The kids have to go somewhere for a practice, or I got to take the car for an oil change. But we, we got all these things, and those can fill our days. They can plug in all the gaps in our camp in our calendar. And by the time it's over, we really haven't had any time just to stop, to pray, to do the things that we know we should do as believers. That's what I'm talking about. Spiritual indifference because of the distractions. That we have now jesus talked about this it's in mark chapter 4 if you want to read it sometime but he he, he basically tells a story he says a farmer goes out and he's taking the seed and he's just throwing it out and that's how they farmed in the first century they didn't plant like we plant today they just throw in the seed everywhere some of that seed fell you know on the path so people are just going to walk on it it's never going to grow some of that seed fell in, in what's known as rocky ground so there was enough soil there for it to germinate but it's never going to really take root it's not going to survive and then some of that fell among thorns, weeds. So it would grow just like the weeds grow. It's just weeds are always stronger. I don't know why it works that way, Scott. It's true. But the weeds are stronger. And so the plant begins to grow. The seed begins to grow. But the weeds choke it out. They choke the life out of it. And that's what Jesus was talking about. His disciples came to him and said, can you explain this to us? And he just explained to it that, that the seed is the Word of God. And for some people, the Word of God, it's just like, it's like landing on this floor. You know, it's never going to take root in their heart. It's never going to do a thing. They can hear it. It just kind of bounces off for them. But for other people, it, it does kind of take root a little bit. But just as it starts to grow, it just has no real depth to it. So it never goes anywhere. But then there's that third group of people. And that's what we're talking about today where indifference comes in. For those folks, it does take root, it does start growing, but it is the weeds around us that choke the life out of the Word of God. It's those distractions, even sometimes the responsibilities. It's all those other things that just kind of pile into our lives that choke the life out of the truth of the Word of God. And Jesus said there is a fourth kind of ground, and that's the good ground. 
And sometimes the Word of God lands on a heart like that. It begins to grow. And when it does, it always produces some kind of fruit. You'll see it in your life and others will too. Have you ever felt numb? Just kind of, got, you know what I'm talking about? Emotionally, you just feel numb. Sometimes people will describe that as not feeling anything. You know, they'll say they're numb. But someone explained it. I don't know who the source was, but it's really the opposite. To be numb is not feeling anything. To be numb is not the absence of feeling. It's the sensation of feeling everything at once. Too much at once. It's being overwhelmed. So you start thinking, well, you know, when you, here's, here's what I'm doing with distractions. you got all these things piling into your life. And then you find yourself spiritually indifferent. If you, if you want a way out of that, take a few moments, a few days, get the distractions out. Get, get, the way you deal with the numbness is get that other stuff out so you can actually hear. Y'all notice when you come in, we try to have music playing. We try to have music playing. What happens when the music's playing loud? If people talk louder, right? So if I turn the music really, really low, you guys come in and you whisper. You're like, it's like a funeral in here. Everybody's quiet. But if I turn the music up a notch or two, you go up a notch or two. And then I'm having fun. I walk by here, I bump it up another notch, and I just listen to all of you get louder. Pretty soon everybody's having a great time. They're talking loud and they're doing all of that. You know, it's just how it works. But if we needed to get quiet so you could hear a single voice again, all we got to do is turn this off or unplug it, right? Because as soon as we do, everybody looks around. It got quiet. Okay? I'm, I, that's what I'm saying to you. If you're, if you're spiritually indifferent, you need some quiet. You need the distractions out. You need a day, a two, maybe a week where you just get all that stuff out. You just turn it all off. You know, you turn off the phone, you turn off the TV, you turn off the music, you get some of the people out of your life for a little while, and you just, you just move all those distractions out. And what you'll hear is a voice that's been drowned out by all the other noise. You say, I don't hear from God. Look, get all the other voices out. Yeah, I pray, but I don't hear anything back. But, well, you're on your phone all the time. Turn that thing off for a little while so you can hear what God might be saying to you. It's one of the ways that you can change spiritual indifference. Now, if you're at this point today in what I'm saying and you say, I still don't know if this is me, let me give you six things. Okay, These are six ways that, that you can know that it's kind of you. Because if you're here going, ah, I hear what you're saying, it's probably good for that guy, but it's not me. All right, This is how you would know. Number one, we're more concerned with impressing people than living the way God wants us to live. That, that's one of the ways we know we're spiritually indifferent. We're more concerned about impressing people than we are about impressing God. We want them to think well of us. We're not so concerned about what God thinks because the preacher said, God loves me no matter what. It's true. God does love you no matter what. But when you put the impressions of other people above the way God sees you, you see how that's backward? Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, in the last days, people will be lovers of self. Isn't it interesting that selfie is such a big word in our own day? Selfie. In the last days, people will love themselves more than anything else. And let me give you this one. It's just a little bit scary. Jesus said, woe to you when everyone thinks well of you. Don't we want everybody to think well of us? Jesus said, that's not a good thing. And why is it not a good thing if everyone thinks well of you? It just means you're a people pleaser. Or at least you're doing pretty good at it. 
But Jesus said it himself. Woe to you if everyone thinks well of you. If you want to just say, well, that can't be true. It's Luke chapter 6. You can read it for yourself. I'm not making it up. Woe to you if everyone thinks well of you. Did everyone think well of Jesus? No. And He was perfect. Like He never did a single thing wrong. He never did anything wrong before God. And yet before people, there were a lot of people that thought He did wrong. And they didn't like Him. Now if you're going to follow Him, the same thing's going to happen to you. No matter how hard you try or how well you do in following Christ, it is because you're following Christ that some people will not like what you do. They will never approve. They don't approve of Him and they're not going to approve of you doing the things that He wants you to do. And I'll even add this. Sometimes it's your family. Like they don't understand why you do these things. Why are you doing that? I remember uh, growing up when I started going to church. I was weird. I went every week. And I say that's weird because actually that, is, that, is, that fits the category of weird today. Because what did we say the other day? How often does the actual church member go to church on average? Once a month. You are way above average. You know, so I love you for that. But the average church member goes once a month. Well, I started going every week. And, you know, my family, they did things on the weekends. And so I would go to church and they were like, don't you want to be with your family? No. <laughs> You people are weird. <laughs> you don't know my family, so I can say that. If y'all are listening, um, I'm sorry. Oh, my goodness. So, again, that was my But I did. I started going to church every single week. You know, that's... It was important. I needed it, you know. I needed to be with God's people. I needed to worship. I needed to learn. I didn't know what was in the Bible. And being there and hearing those things... I mean, I, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't start doing that back then. That's just the truth. But when you, when you got it mixed up, when you want to please people more than you're concerned about what God thinks, that's how, you, that's how you know you're spiritually indifferent. Let me give you the second one. When you're obsessed with life on this earth rather than things that are eternal. So when you get so dialed in, so locked in to the things that are here and now, you don't give any concern for what's in forever, in eternity, that's spiritual indifference. So, anybody got anything new? I mean, you don't have to give it to me or anything, but like you got a new phone, you got a new car, you got some new clothes, you got something new. Can I just tell you that soon that thing will be garbage? I know, I made your day, right? Especially you get a new car. You get a new car, you love the new car, you say, well, it's not really new, it's just new to me. Okay, but it's, it's new and you like it. I guarantee you it's going to the junkyard. It's just a matter of time, right? You get a new piece of technology, you're like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I'm telling you, it's going to break, it's going to wear out, it's going to get old. One day you're going to throw that thing in the trash or give it to somebody because you don't need it anymore. It's, it's not going to last. There is nothing you have in this world that's going to last. Nothing. So you, you make some choices about where you're going to put your time, where you're going to put your energy, what you're going to do. And if you put all your time, all your energy, all your money, whatever you, you know, it is that you do with, if you put all of that into the things of this world, when it's all over, what have you got? You got nothing. Because nothing's going to last. None of it. So if you take the time you have, the energy you have, and the resources you can use, and you use those things in ways that, that impact eternity, now that's something. Have you ever heard you can't take it with you? Yeah. I'm going to tell you, there's some things you can take with you. And even money. You can't take money with you, but you can take your money and use it in such a way that it shows up in heaven. 
Like it shows up in eternity because you used it in such a way that it made a difference in somebody's life. And if that person is there or they know Christ in a better way because of the way you chose to use the resources you have in this world, if that's what happened, you did take it with you. You traded, you know, a dollar for some value in eternity and that never goes away. And I challenge you to do that. Don't be so obsessed with the things that are here and now because all that stuff's garbage eventually. Don't get so locked into that that you miss out on the things that are forever. But if, if you're dialed into here and you're not thinking about forever, that's a sign of spiritual indifference. If you need a scripture for it, just turn to 1 John chapter 3 one day and read it. John says, don't love the world and don't love the things in the world. Everything that's in the world is not of the Father. And if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. That's kind of harsh, isn't it? And if you love this world, you can't love this world and love God at the same time. You can find the good in the world. You can see the reflection of God in the world. You can enjoy the things of this world. But if you, if you put your heart on it, if you love this, it's temporary. If you love that more than you love God, that's where you're missing. Spiritual indifference. Let me give you the third one. It's when we rationalize sin... And live without truly fearing God. Now, you know what I'm talking about when I say rationalize sin? Like you've got something in your life, you know you probably shouldn't be doing it, but you just figured out it's not as bad as other people. That's what I mean. You're rationalizing it. You're figuring out a way to explain whatever I'm doing, it's not as bad as those other people. Or whatever I'm doing, I'm not actually hurting anyone else. And by the way, can you imagine standing before God and he uh, calls you on something you did in this world and, and you're going to tell God, but I didn't hurt anybody. You think that'll fly? <laughs> but I, I, I didn't actually hurt anybody else. No one else is going to matter. Like when you stand before God, you are not going to look around and see the other people. It's just going to be you and God. Okay? Just you and God. So, so the idea that I'm just, I'm not hurting anybody, that's, so you can say, well, okay, I'm a little bit selfish. I'll give you that. But that's not such a bad thing to be selfish. I could be doing much worse. See the rationalization? That's what we're talking about. Well, you know, everybody gossips some, don't they? Which, by the way, I need to define gossip because I want you to understand gossip. Um, if you tell something that's not true, that's not gossip. That's called a lie, right? If you tell it it's not true, that's not gossip. That's a lie. Gossip is true. I know, it blows your mind. Gossip is true, but you're telling people things they don't need to know. Or they shouldn't know. Or it's not going to help. You know, those, those are the kinds of things that make gossip gossip. If it's not true, it's not gossip. It's a lie. It's a different. Well, all I do is gossip. You know, I love to tell the news. But that's not as bad as other people, right? That's the rationalization. I thought about this one all week. I just said, should I really say this to the church? I'm just going to tell you because I've, I've heard it and I've heard it too many times. And, it, it could, and, and only people that talk to me about this are guys. You know, they say, but it's just porn. It's just porn. I could be doing other things. It's just porn. Can I, can I just say if that's your rationalization, if that's what you think, can I just tell you you're wrong? And, and by the way, pornography is like an epidemic in our country today. And it's because of technology. It's because of the access and all those things. And, and I'm just going to tell you, if you think that it's not hurting you, if you think it's not hurting your spouse, if you think it's not hurting your kids, if you think it's not hurting the other important relationships in your life, I'm just going to tell you, you're not right about that. It is. You cannot degrade people. You cannot degrade yourself. 
You cannot indulge in things that God says are not good and think that it doesn't hurt all the important relationships in your life. You just can't. But again, that's a rationalization, right? And that's what people do. And so if you're rationalizing what you're doing, part of what you're doing is feeding into this idea of spiritual indifference. Let me, let me go quickly. Number four. So we believe in Jesus, but we rarely share our faith. That's one of the ways you know you're spiritually indifferent. I believe in Jesus, but I don't really talk. How do you know I love Michelle? Thank you. You can see it in the things I do, and you can hear it in the things I say. What if I never mentioned her? Ever? Yeah, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> I'd be in trouble. I mean, the ring is one thing, right? Okay, the ring's not for me. I don't forget I'm married, all right? I don't forget. The ring's not for me. The ring is for you. So you know. It's a quick symbol. Everybody knows. I don't, need, I don't need to wake up and go, oh my goodness, I'm married. I don't need that. Okay, I know. The ring is for other people to know that I'm married. But being married and loving your spouse, those are different things. I know that's bad to say, but it's just the truth. Okay? Being married and loving your spouse are different things. But you know if I love her by the things I do and the things I say, right? So how is it that Christian people never talk about Jesus if they love him? If you love him, you'll talk about him. You can't help it. If you love him, you want to be around him. If you love him, you like to hang out with his people, the people that are a little bit like him. That's just what you do because you love him. If you don't love him, none of those things matter to you. You don't hang out with people that you don't love if you have a choice, right? You don't just talk about people you know, in conversation because you don't care about them. You talk about them because you do care about them. That's the difference. So if you believe in Jesus, I, look, I'm not talking about a witnessing plan or anything like that. I'm just saying you'll talk about him. And Jesus basically said that. He said, you know, if you confess me before people, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you don't confess me before people, I won't confess you before my Father in heaven. And if you want to just kind of dig into that and understand what it means, it means this. Jesus is saying, if you know me, you'll talk about me. And I know you, I'll talk about you. But if we don't know each other, that's it. All right, let me give you the fifth one. We only turn to God when we need Him. You know about the times when you need God? Those are the times when you automatically start praying. When, when I used to do a lot of work with first responders, you know, uh, paramedics, nurses, people like that, you know, they would just tell me, you know, I got to the scene and the person's just laying there and they're praying. You know, they're just talking to God and they're just yelling to God, crying to God. I mean, that, that's what people do when, when they're in pain or they think they're about to die or something like that. They, all of a sudden they want to talk to God. But then when all that's over, you know, what happens then? So if you only talk to God when you have one of those crises in your life and everything's bad, if that's the only time you talk to God, that's a good sign of spiritual indifference. Instead... It can be. It should be something different. You know, I, I would just say to you, if you're not spiritually indifferent, you probably wake up thinking about God or you wake up praying. Or sometime not long after you're up, you just start praying. You, you can't really help it. I mean, don't you wake up and think about the people you love? That's what you do. So you wake up, you'll just kind of start praying. You just kind of start talking to God. You maybe say a little, maybe say a lot. I don't know how it works for you, but, but you'll just start doing that. And it's something, you don't go days without talking to Him. You don't go days without praying. You just don't. But if you're spiritually indifferent, you do. All right, let me do the last one. This is number six. If you're spiritually indifferent, you're just not much different from the world around you. You're not much different from people that don't believe. 
You know, you, you live your life by the same values, you watch the same movies, you listen to the same music, you have the same morals, you just do all those things. You're just not really any different. I'm just going to say to you that if you follow Jesus, it doesn't make you weird, but it does make you different. Because Jesus is not like us, and if we follow him, something is different about us and about the way we live our lives. All right, let me do this. I think I've got a slide on this, Ross. Reigniting the spiritual fire. Because if, if I've walked you through those six things and you're going, that's me. You know, and three or four of them hit you, even one. But if three or four of those hit you and you, you say, well, okay, you've cursed the darkness long enough. Tell me something good. I, I want to give you one thing, just one thing that can help turn that around. Because I, I could do the preacher thing right now. I could say, okay, I'll tell you what you do. You need to pray you know, every day. You need to read the Bible. You need to be in, in your church. You need to fellowship with believers. You need to do all these things. I could tell you all of that, and it would all be true, and it would all be good. But I'm going to give you one thing, just one thing to do if you don't want to be spiritually indifferent. This is it. You ready? Every day, do something that requires faith. Every single day. Don't go through your days just doing what you can do. Don't go through your days just saying, well, I can do that. I've got the resources for that. I've got the time for that. I've got the energy for that. And don't just do those things. Every single day, do something that requires faith. In other words, you're saying, you know what? I'm going to try this, but if God doesn't help me, I will fail. In other words, it, faith is required for me to do this in some way. Stand up for somebody. You all know people need somebody to stand up for them. You all know people that need somebody to just come alongside and go, I'm with you. Stand up for somebody. Yeah, so you take some criticism for it. Somebody might make fun of you. I mean, just do it because it's the right thing to do. It takes a step of faith. Just do it. Uh, give. I talked about giving to our church, but I'm not talking about just the church, which, by the way, I always like to say this as the pastor. It, it doesn't matter what you give. When I'm being paid, I just get paid the same thing. So it's not like I get a percentage or anything like that. And I talk about giving because, not because of me, but because of you. And, and when, you, when you give, and, and this, this is another thing you need to know about giving, okay? Don't spend, save, give. You, you know what I'm talking about? I'm going to spend what i got to spend to take care of everything. Then I'm going to try to save a little bit. And if I have something left over, I'm going to give that. Don't do it that way. Give, save, spend. Do it in that order. Decide up front. I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to give to these things, and this is what I'm going to give. And then I need to save a little bit because, you know, the future's coming when I may not be able to work or whatever. So I'm going to save a little bit, and then I'm going to live on the rest. So I'm going to give, save, spend. It, it's complete reversal of the way most people handle money, okay? But if you do it that way, you'll always have something to give. It means you'll make some hard decisions, you'll adjust your life, but you'll always have something to give. And, and here's the reason you need to be a giver. God is a giver. And He made you to be a giver. He made you that way. If you don't give, you, I'm telling you, you're missing out on part of what you were made to do. You were made to have something, to be a steward of that, and to give. And if you want some, some spiritual fire in your life and not the indifference, take a step of faith and give what you don't think you can give. And if you say, well, you're just after money from the church, I don't care, give somewhere else. Just do it. Because that's part of how you get out of spiritual indifference. Uh, maybe you need to apologize to somebody. Even if they don't want you to talk to them. One of the hardest things you have to do is apologize to people that don't want to talk to you. Send them a letter. I don't know. They'll burn it. Who cares? It's, it's not about them, right? It's about you. Maybe you need to take that step of faith. Uh, 
do something, do something in your church group that you've never done before. You know, and I don't know what that is. Find a new way to serve. Pray out loud. Take up some position in some way. Just do something you've never had to do before. Do something that's scary. Because if it's not scary to you, you probably don't need faith to do it. That makes sense? Do something that's scary. Uh, reach out to people. Be vulnerable. Expose yourself to things that break your heart. That's how you get where people are. You can always stay at a distance. You can always put a barrier between you and other people's pain. But if you do that, you're going to miss out on the very things that God has for you. Pray for things that are impossible. I don't mean just weird things, make them up. I mean, just think about what's going on and say, but God, what if you did this? Pray for those things that are impossible. Attempt something that you can never do if God doesn't help you. Some of you are sitting in this room and the reason you got here is because of that. Because you said, we're going to do this and if God doesn't help us, we'll absolutely fail. Absolutely. If God's not in it and God doesn't help us, we will fail. It requires faith. But here's the good news. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you take a step of faith. You know you were designed to live by faith, right? Like you were made to live by faith. You were made to be dependent upon your Maker. And, and forever and ever and all eternity, that's how you're supposed to live. In dependence upon your Maker. It will always, like when you get to heaven, faith doesn't end. It just keeps going forever. That's why it's so important now. So when you have faith, that's something that starts now. There is a lie that a lot of people believe. Because if you're trying to do any of these things, you're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And the lie is this. It's easier not to care. That's just a lie. It's not easier not to care. You, you, if you don't care, you won't let yourself get close to people, you will miss out on the pain, but you'll also miss out on purpose. You'll miss out on the very things that God has for you. And so I think we got a screen on this. I want to say it. It's better to hurt with a purpose than it is to live without one. Make sense? It's better to do these things and you'll hurt with a purpose than to live without one. All right, I've got to get to the last thing of this because the kids said we're done, right? The verse, and, and you may have skipped ahead, I can't remember, Ross, but the verse is in verse 17. We read it a few moments ago. This is Revelation 3, 17, okay? Just, just hear this as the word of Jesus. He said, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, they with me. So Jesus says, I'm at the door. I'm here. You gonna open up the door? You gonna let me come in? Thank you. That's what fellowship is about. Look, how, how do I let people know that I really care about them? Okay, this, this is it, right? You spend time with them. If you sit down and you have a meal with somebody, you just sit down and it's just, just you and them, and you just spend time and you just talk with them and you just listen to them, aren't you saying you care? That's what fellowship's all about. And that's what Jesus is saying. I'm here. Like, I'm at the door. You don't have to wait for me to show up. This is not an appointment for tomorrow or next week. I'm here now. And now, if you'll let me in, we'll fellowship together, just you and me. That's how spiritual indifference is overcome. It is through that relationship with Christ. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close this in just a moment. We're all going to stand together. I'm going to lead in a prayer. 
And then I just want you to have a few moments to respond. Um, someone asked me before the service, you know, kind of this is different. We're in a cafeteria. We don't really have an altar area. So here, here's what we did today. We went and got the cross out again and we brought it up. And, and so for me, it's always a special place. You're between the cross and the church. And if you want to come forward and you want to pray, you can. You're welcome to do that. If you want to stand where you are and pray and talk to God, you are welcome to do that. If you want someone to pray with you, I always just kind of walk around the front right here. I'll be glad to pray with you for a moment. Okay? The most important thing is for you to be able to respond to God. If you're spiritually indifferent today and you say, I don't want this anymore, talk to God about it. If you're here today, you say, I'm not really a person of faith. I just kind of know some of this stuff. If you, if you want to begin a journey of faith today, you need to talk to Jesus. And you do that in prayer. And say, well, I don't really know about prayer. I don't know how that works. Here's how it works. Just close your eyes. Talk to God. You can talk in your mind. You can talk with your voice. Just talk. I promise you He hears. And that's how you begin a journey of faith. You just say, here I am, Jesus. I don't know what all this means, but I'm going to give myself to you. I'm going to let you lead my life. If you take that step of faith, I promise you, He will take it from there. Let's stand together and we'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for every person here. And thank you for what we've done today and the things that we've uh, thought about in the scripture. And we give you these moments so that every person has a chance to respond to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.